1870. 23 years. It's a lot of questions that come up. And I think this is one of the things that shows why we have all these questions. Now, going back to the original point of this exploration, the origin of the orphans, I have some theories to explain where these orphans came from. Now, I believe there were two different phases of the orphan trains. There was the initial phase in 1850 to 1870, and a subsequent phase that occurred all the way as far as the 1930s and 1940s. And here are the major theories. One, the reset war destroyed remaining enclaves of last civilization. So what remained of Tartaria that didn't go along with the reset, it had to be destroyed. Prisoners were taken en masse from these conflicts going on across the lands. And many of them were taken to either asylums or prisoner of war camps where many died. Orphans from across the land were shipped to New York City. And there they were distributed across the United States because for whatever reason, the plan that they had indicated the United States was going to be settled from people from across the world. Now, going back to the orphan trains, people say that in the pictures they only see one particular type of appearance of human being, and that's very true. However, just because there's a lack of pictures of other types of human beings doesn't mean that they weren't part of the orphan trains as well. For example, just because the media doesn't talk about a certain conflict going on in a certain part of the world doesn't mean there's not a conflict going on, right? In any event, it's hard to say exactly what the reality of the situation was. But I suspect that the reason that they do this is just to keep people questioning and just to sow division, as because what you display in pictures can always be questioned, and it can always cause people to question their status in life, and stay more concerned about questioning their trust in each other, as opposed to questioning trust in, we'll just say, institutions perhaps they're not supposed to. Finally, what's the repopulation aspect of this? Consider if we had a reset and a worldwide conflict, we know that many human beings died. We're under the impression, and this is reinforced by the fact, that labor was required, especially in certain areas of the world, and they used child labor quite extensively. The orphan trains initially were designed to provide child labor, and it seems they were provided to induce diaspora and dysphoria amongst the people. There's also the fact that uh, there was a vast population influx in the United States through San Francisco, as we talk about how the Transcontinental Railroad was supposedly constructed by two different ethnic groups of people working from the east and the west and meeting in the middle. Well, what's the truth and the reality to it? We just don't know. We have all these hints and all these clues, and this is why we have to keep doing this exploration. I hope today's exploration provided a theory, though, for where these orphans may have come from. And... Could they have grown additional people in test tubes using alchemical processes that would have provided more of a population or the incubator babies? Absolutely. And I believe that was a subsequent phase to the plan when they required more people and more labor in certain areas that were depopulated from all this conflict and everything else that was going on as part of the reset. But what do you think? Let me know in the comments. Hello and welcome back to episode 53 with Waking Up With Mel. And today we are talking about the incubator babies of Coney Island and when they first came on the scene, the Chicago World Fair. And right away I want to address what he said. What's your Put your questions in the comments. Well, here's my comment on what he said about the incubator babies. This is a channel I found. It's called L-U-C-I... What's say Yeah. L-U-C-I-U-S-A-U-R-E-L. It's on YouTube. And this dude is on it. Like, I love, love, love his videos. There's another one I've came across. It's called Unveiled Mind. And I really like his channel, too. 
Um, he was the one that I played last week with the orphan um, cabbage patch stuff. So I do not think they have been doing cloning since then. And, and I could be wrong because everything is on the table as far as I'm concerned after the last few weeks of my research. I am absolutely blown away. You know, I really truly believed America was a good founded country and I believed all the BS about everything until the 1950s. And I thought, oh, then we got hijacked. Well, I'm incorrect, y'all. This country was founded way before any of the Spanish and the British and whoever came over here came over here and and riled things up because these buildings and these things that are that are our old, what I'm now calling the old world America are right under our noses and we don't even have eyes to see it because they have taken these old world buildings converted them beautiful old world buildings into three things I've noticed First, the universities, which I call the indoctrination centers. Second, insane asylums. And third, hospitals. So you will see that if you start to look around Boston, New York, Massachusetts, Virginia, I mean, Idaho, New Mexico, a little town even. Like, it's insane when you really start to open your eyes to this stuff. And so basically, you know, I truly believe now that we have gotten dumber because they have chosen that for us because that's the way they made us slaves. So I believe... If you read the Bible, which you should, if you read about Solomon and his palace, it's incredible. I've looked up pictures because I like to, I'm a visual person. I like to see things. So whenever I read things in the Bible and I'm like, I want to see what that looked like, I Google it because it's, it's there, it's history. So I look it up and I'm like, wow, the temple was tore down and rebuilt. So there has been two temples in the Bible prophecies that when the third one's built on the temple mound, you know, the end times are soon or whatever that hasn't happened yet. They're all fighting over there right now anyways. So according to the news, which I don't believe anything right now, and I feel like I'm just not going to get caught up with this stuff because I can't even believe my past. Why would I believe what they're telling me right now so they can control my future? No, I'm not having it right now. I want to unravel the past and the future is going to unfold the way it's going to unfold. And I got God and I'm powerful with God. So that's all I need. I don't need to know what the enemy's got going on, but I do want to know what he has had going on. So we got Solomon's temple built. We got Babel in the before Solomon's temple. We understand, right? That from the beginning of time, people knew how to build buildings. They were Masons. That's where the Masons came from. They weren't, they were Masons means like they were used to build buildings. It didn't mean they were, had a secret club and then started the all the other side gigs with the Order of Odd Fellows and Illuminati and all the other crap they do, they actually built really nice buildings. And I truly believe when they came over here, they, I, you know, I don't know how God exactly spread everybody out, but I think everybody was spread out for a very long time. And if you start reading documents like about California and certain places in the United States, you can tell that the Indians, Native Americans, whatever you want to call them, whatever makes you happy, uh, were here way before Christopher Columbus and, you know, sailed the ocean blue. Like they were here and accounts I'm reading is they were happy settled. And not only that, in some pretty intense, uh, free electricity environments like you look at these buildings they all have a huge antennas uh minimal wires of any wires like that 
you look at the old time fireplaces, even like if you live in New York, the, there's old time buildings where they're like, this was never meant for a fire. Well, why doesn't anybody question that? How did they get the heat then? Why did they build them? It wasn't just for looks. They had much better things to do with their time in the 1800s. Or did they? Because look at those carvings. Holy moly. So these buildings they erected over, you know, the 1500s, the 1700s are immaculate. So by the 1800s, we got free electricity. People are just living a good life, right? Like utopia, like I picture living. I want to live. Again, I want this part of history to repeat itself. So we got all this beautiful thing going on. And then something went crazy in the 1800s with wars. You look across the entire world and there's destruction in almost every single country in the early 1800s. So I, you know, I don't know if that's when they pulled the string or if that's when they had enough people, you know, together with all their secret societies and all the different countries. I don't know exactly. I'm not here to try to tell people I know everything. I Like I've said many times, I know nothing. I'm just learning with all of you. But what I'm learning is... New York used to be called New Amsterdam and there's buildings you can find with New Amsterdam all over it. I believe they even still have a part of New York. I've never been to New York, but I've been looking at pictures of old New York and old Minnesota and old Boston. And I'm just blown away at the, how beautiful it is and how they've hidden this truth in front of our faces with just these old buildings and I have a theory as to why, and it leads to the orphan trains. And that's why I'm even talking about it right now. I'm not going down a rabbit hole. As a matter of fact, if you were wondering, this is going to all tie together with orphan trains. Okay. So we got the, you know, old Amsterdam's hanging out before New York. Uh, the, so obviously the Dutch people are here in New York. In California, we have this certain type of, uh, they call them Native Americans. And I can't remember the name exactly, but it starts with the sea. They were all around where the Hearst Castle, quote unquote, is. And all of a sudden around the 1700s, people start coming over and trying to take over people's lands. And anybody who fought back, in my opinion, was murdered with their guns because I don't think they even needed guns here at that time, but they had them, the Brits. So, and whoever else came over to do all this, the Spanish, it said, and you know, New Mexico here. And, but it's different part. It's, that's why I think it's all like certain people, you know how they say, like my friend was over here today and we we're talking about all the things, which, Oh God bless her. Um, and it's nice to have someone you can talk to face to face about all this crazy stuff. So anyways, we're talking about all the things and we're talking about, we were saying how there's good and bad in everything, right? In the police force and the government. And, and that's why we're still here in this, um, I believe war because how do you win a war? Not with a bunch of sleeping idiots watching Netflix, you know, worried about the game of thrones when we're playing the real life game of thrones with our lives but instead they're watching it on tv instead of realizing like uh yeah look around <laughs> they're showing you what they've done and they're trying to do it again and this time it's their last grab because they already got us paying for our electricity and all these things that should be free how many people have been like this should be free why am i paying for water why am i paying for electricity it's free in the ground gas is free God gave it to us. Like, why are we paying somebody for it? And why was it free in the early 16, 17 and 1800s? I just did a TikTok today, you guys. 
And I did it at this place in Minneapolis, Minnesota called Building Square. And you can find pictures of this place that dates back to 18, I think it's 20s or something like that, like early 1800s. And there's this incredible bridge that looks like a castle that takes you across the river. And it's like the first suspension bridge. Okay, so they have that in the early 1800s. And it takes forever to build bridges, if we know. If if you've been in New Mexico, we got construction 24-7. So can you imagine building a bridge that looks like a castle that's the first suspension bridge ever? That thing was there for a hot minute. And then the pictures of it I found were the early 1800s. You can decide when it's built because now I don't believe any timelines of anything. Like, unless, I just don't. So I try to put this timeline together of this, this certain place in Minnesota and you can find a picture of this post and it's in their archives with their New Mexico, or not New Mexico, the Minnesota history. My dad's from Minnesota. So it's, it's fascinating to me. And this light is incredible. And it, it says in the newspaper article in the 18 early, I think it was 1820, you guys, if, if my memory's not mistaken, uh, it's tired, it's late, but I still want to do this podcast. So here I am. 1121, my time, Friday, October 27th, got to get this information out. <laughs> and I, you know, here I am drinking some hot tea top of the morning to you. So this place then changes from pictures from the like 1800s. It goes, you see all these power lines, all these things I established to the TikTok viewers and to you too, that in America, supposedly we didn't have a patent until a telephone until 1887. Yet in the early 1800s, before 1887, about 60 years, there's all these quote unquote, what people are like, those are telephone lines. They're not telephone lines. I don't know what lines they are. They could be for electricity. They could be for tele- They could be for both. I don't know what they had going on in the early 1800s. I was not there, but I can tell the pictures. They had some stuff going on. And then as time goes on by the 1900s, all those poles are removed. The buildings are almost all demolished. It's absolutely insanity. And not only, and then by 1919, there's a picture of all these guys laying there during the great depression. So they take the power, they demolish the building and let, will get us to the orphan trains. So what I believe happened was very similar to what we started with is in the early 1800s, war started breaking out to displace people. I believe all across different countries, they had their masons, their people in line to do these takeovers. They sailed over, they checked out places they wanted to take over. They, you know, thought of ways to do it. Like in California, they set up missions. They had the, all the natives come in who were thriving and basically become dependent on them. (laughs) Sound familiar. And, when they started saying, no, wait, we don't like what you're doing to us. We don't like you raping our women and locking up our men. We're out. They said, no, you're not. We we got too much control over you now. And they had a whole revolt is what they call these things. Revolt. That's when people say, I'm done with your BS and I'm freaking out. And so they revolted. It took about four months before their muskets took over the natives. And same here in New Mexico. They starved Indians out on the top of the uh, mountain. I'm going to go turn off my ice maker because that thumping's going to drive me nuts during this. So my point is they took a lot of control. Okay. They had the control and they killed, pillaged, did the things to all the natives. Like, I don't believe the Lewis and Clark Sacagawea sack of crap I was taught in Idaho. And it's interesting too. I was born and raised in Idaho. My husband was born and raised in New Mexico and we were taught different 
history. And neither of us were really taught about the natives that lived in the land that we took over that our streets are named after and everything else. It's absolutely insane how the well, it's not insane because they, they write the education books. I don't know why I always say it's insane, but it blows my mind how they just erased history and they did it with these indoctrination centers. We've still to this day put our kids in that we call school. Like school needs to be – no wonder Trump's constantly being like, well, I'm back, dudes. I am cleaning out the systems because the systems are effed up. And I'm so glad he didn't get back when he was elected in 2020 he has, we all know he won that election and if you don't know that then you should i don't even know why you're listening to this podcast right now but god bless your soul but we all know trump won 80 some the biggest election win of of american history <laughs> they're trying to say this dodo bird joe biden won and we all know that's stupid and not true even across the globe like i have people that are blowing me away i'm like whoa i didn't even know where that country was and thank you for listening, by the way, everybody. Thank you for taking the time out of your lives to pick this podcast, my voice to listen to. I really appreciate it. Like when people give me feedback and like, you know, texts and messages, it's, it, I, it goes to my heart and all the way in because you know life, you know, you can hear 10 good compliments and one bad one and we settle on that one bad one. So I appreciate you people that take the time and give me these positive compliments. Take the time to listen to this information and do with it what you will because like I said I'm not over here trying to be like I'm right and you're stupid if you don't believe me because I believe people that do that are so insecure with their beliefs that they want to tell you you're stupid for believing what you believe because they really feel stupid for believing what they believe I really truly do believe that so here we are just trying to unravel the past to figure out the future and honestly the only way to do that is to look and look within ourselves, look at the past, look at pictures and, and make our minds up, but don't be told ever by me, by any other podcaster, by a preacher, what to think. Like that's where I feel like a lot of people get misleaded all the time. They don't look at the actual text. Like people don't even read the Bible. Well, my preacher said, well, have you ever picked up your Bible and dusted it off and read it? Because what does it say itself? Regardless of what the preacher says, it says. Better yet, don't just read it, research it. Research the buildings, the places, the times, the Hebrew behind like what's the real definition? Hebrew has many definitions for one English word. It's so important. Once you start doing that just with the word of God, you'll start doing that with history. You'll start doing that with with things, you know. I'm not sitting here saying just be you know, just be a disbeliever, don't believe anything. No. But create a firm foundation on why you believe what you believe because you've taken the time and the energy to research it my biggest pet peeve is when you tell somebody something you're like well i'm gonna need something to back that up well take the time to do it if you really want to back it up if you don't believe me and what i'm saying then go prove me wrong <laughs> like go look it up and usually you'll be like holy cow uh, uh, you know i mean i've done that with so many things that i've heard i'm like is there really aborted babies in, in uh, vaccines? I I didn't believe that one at first. When I tell people, they don't believe it at first. And then it's an easy Google. And you're like, holy cow, there is. And then you're faced with the, the cognitive dissonance of, well, now that I know that, am I okay with that? And why am I doing what I'm doing? And there we go. The rabbit trail begins. So back to the rabbit trail of incubator babies. And why I think they needed them. So I truly believe 1800s, the 
you know, the Rothschilds, the Hearst, the Vanderbilts, whoever took over this architecture and put their name on it because they didn't build it. And they're like, this was built in the 1900s. Bullshit. There's no way these buildings were built when they say they were built and by who they say they were built. And let's take the Hearst Castle, for example, that place in California I was talking about where all the natives were. They had advanced technology. They were great out there. And now Hearst comes in after his dad buys up all the land from the natives and tries to say he built the Hearst Castle when nobody lived out there with an architect that graduated from Oakland. <laughs> okay, no. So I started looking at buildings and I'm like, they're like, that's the Vanderbilts and this is this. So all these people, they put their names on it. Some of these people took the over these old castles and then demolished them after living in them for a little while. And I started questioning the energy thing. So they build these immaculate castles, right? Well, they know they're not paying for energy because it's free. So they're not worried about that when they're building them. But when these Rothschilds and the powers that be that want us to pay for everything, for some reason, be slaves to them, I don't know why. I mean, you gotta be so evil to think like that. I want the whole world to bow down to me. It's just like cartoons. They tell us in cartoons, there's the good and the bad. You know, it's weird though. They always say the good wins. So do they really believe that? Are they just saying that for, to give kids hope? I'm not real sure about that. But so they sit there. They make us all start paying for power by the 19, you know, 50s or whatever, depending on if you're rural or not. And nobody can afford to live in castles anymore. So they had to tear them down. And the only ones that they could keep up were the ones that were insane asylums, universities, and hospitals. Uh, you know why? Because they're being funded by us, the taxpayers. Yay! Isn't that a good time? So the only old world buildings that are still in existence to this day are either one of these rich guys' castles that they make money for people to tour them, or a university, a hospital. Oh, sometimes a library, which is cool. But very, you know, parts of downtowns. But very rarely do you see these places standing they tear they love tearing them down they have since they took over and they still do because each time one of these old buildings comes down and that's why it breaks our hearts when we see it it's, they're taking a part of history they're taking a part of the old world they're taking a part of our memories and when they take these kids from this place these places that were very well established all across the united states you can look at any small town in the 1800s and they are very well established if you look at old prisons Prisons are old world buildings and they took them over and locked these people up in their own buildings. And these buildings were said not only to be uh, places, some of them were places of worship and some of them were places where they came to be healed because the way they were shaped, the way their bells rang, the frequency that came out of these buildings would naturally heal people. They didn't need hospitals, but the way the Rothschilds wanted it with the petroleum medicine is, oh, that's not going to work, guys. We need you to pay for your electricity. You need to get you sick and pay for your medicine. And that's where we're at. 2023. So if you think we've progressed from 1800 to 2023, we haven't. You know, we might have it with cars. Maybe. I don't know because I don't know what kind of cars we have. We definitely haven't with airships because if you start to look at airships, there was literally like little private spaceships. They were like, look like blimps kind of. They're called airships. Want to look it up? Look it up. They were all over. They were easy to land. I mean, 
Yeah, so we're not doing that much better with, I, I think, technology. We definitely have uh, high-speed railroads that we're not allowed to use. We definitely have underground tunnels in almost all these cities. So there's a lot of stuff going on that people just don't know about or don't see. And if you start looking at some of your cities, you'll notice the archways on the, by the cement where you're walking, where your feet are, because the building goes below you. Because they're old world buildings. Some of them have been mud flooded. I don't believe the whole mud flood theory with Tartaria and all that. And I'm not going to go into that today. Maybe I'll do a podcast about Tartaria. Because I feel like we're going to tie everything up today. So we talked about MK Ultra, which led me to the orphan trains. Because I was like, well, where are they getting the orphans? So then we talked about orphan trains last week. And now this week we're talking about the incubator babies. Because this incubator thing started before actually the orphan trains are right around the same time. So like the end of the 1800s and from my understanding and research, and again, this is just the research I've done and I've spent some extensive time and I think I'm right, came out of Paris. Now what's weird about Paris is I'm noting, noticing a lot of weird stuff came out of there. So we got the lady with the cabbage patch that did the first motion picture we talked about last week that was pulling little babies out of cabbage patches, which I believe was a programming for years to come with cabbage patch all the cabbage patch junk we have. Okay. Don't even look at my cabbage patch the same anymore. And I think I still have it somewhere. Okay. So we have the cabbage patch lady who then is tied in with the incubator guy from the first incubator fair. So let's start there with, with this incubator fair that started and then came over to America to the Chicago world fair where they had these babies like little sideshows. And I got a lot to say about it, but we'll try to make it not too long. Okay, so I believe the world's been broken up. There's wars all over the country. They're taking, for whatever reason, all these people from across the globe into America to, to um, coastal states like, you know, New York and Boston and San Francisco and just spreading these these kids all around so they can then traffic them across the middle of the United States because they want to... Uh, found the United States like they taught us in our history books. So meanwhile, as they're locking up the parents, killing the parents, putting them in asylum asylums, and they're redoctrinating their children to forget about where they came from. And in order to do that, they did it from, you know, like we talked about last week, birth to teens. And by the time they're teens, I believe the first generation of orphan trained kids were released into their positions they were trained for in government, police, you know, to keep this cycle going that we are still currently in. I mean, we are in an abusive cycle with these narcissistic government people. And, you know, looking back, how does it all start abuse? It's crazy, right? So they broke up this Tartarian type utopia living where everybody was living happy, free and wasn't working to pay the man basically. And took the Parents who probably went insane after their children were taken from them. I know I would be, I would go nuts if someone took my freaking kids from me. So I can't imagine someone coming and taking your kids in mass numbers, the amount of parents that probably went nuts. And not only that, if you look back at the insane asylums and the reasons they could put you in and I mean, the way they treated you, that alone would make you nuts. Okay. So you got two things against you and notice before this time, we don't have a thing called mental illness. Like this is a man-made disease that has man-made cures when we need to go straight to the creator who made us to heal the wounds that are creating the mental illness, in my opinion. So we got all this mental illness going on for, for a dang good reason. We got the kids being trafficked 
being tortured, abused, not loved. I can't imagine what a child goes through, especially, I mean, I have a two-year-old right now. I can't imagine someone taking her from me and shipping her on a train and giving her a new family and a new name and a new life. That would screw her up. I have a 14-year-old, 15 actually. That was the limit that they send these kids on, two to two to four, uh, 15 or 14 it was. So she's past the limit of the orphan train, but they would have shipped her off. 14 years with your child and they're shipping them off. Like we don't know everyone's story and the fake news media. When you look up these stories, will tell you, Oh, I was so much better off being taken from my parent because my dad was drunk or my mom died and my dad didn't know how to take care of me. He had a mental health disease. Okay. There's, it's just like abortion. Everybody needs to kill their kid. No. Oh, it's for the women that get raped. That's 1%. It's probably 1% of kids that had that issue. And then to top it off, we all know the stats that only a quarter of those children were actually real orphans. So they had parents, right? So those kids are getting trafficked with parents. We know that's established. It's a fact. And so then they had the babies and I don't believe that they had cloning. And here's the reason why. Actually, let me play you a clip. I heard this lady a long time ago. And hopefully I can find it right now that said, we have finally cloned our first kid. And she was pumped about it. And then all of a sudden they tried to cover it up and don't tell where the kid's at and stuff. And I found out the kid was in Israel. So the first cloned kid was in, is, is out. I mean, now in 2023, it's in Israel. So we know cloning is real now. I mean, it's very obvious, but because of all the weird stuff that's going on, I think people are questioning everything, which they should. But now they're like, are we living in an alternate reality? Is time not real? It, no, God has a timeline. So does Satan and we're in it. We're in the middle of a timeline. And what timeline are you on? It's up to you. Like, what one are you following? God, I'm listening to God's timeline. And he has nothing but good news for his kids all the time, no matter what time it is. So, and Satan's got bad news for his kids, no matter what time it is. He just tricks them to think it's a good time for a second. You're having fun getting drunk. You're having fun sniffing Coke. You're having fun having sex without with you know you're not your wife or your husband and then you realize that's not fun and then it leads you down the destruction path that Satan wants people down and then you have God I am love I am light I am here I will always love you I will you know help you crush the demons and stomp on them and you have no reason to fear because I have made you and I am with you and you know it's it's our choice what we listen to and it, and it will lead us to the paths we go down and look at history. I mean, look at it. So you get these babies who's, you know, many things could have happened to their parents. Many. I don't believe it was cloning. Like, again, I'll play you the cloning thing here in a second. But I believe just like now, right now to this day in 2023, I know for a fact because I've listened to so many testimonies of thousands of victims of from our government with this MK Ultra stuff that I know that there's what they call breeders and they are made to breed and that just sounds as like bad as it is like dogs they take their kids and they do whatever the hell they want with them sacrifice them on ritual days like Halloween don't celebrate it it's coming up don't celebrate it don't celebrate it if you're a Christian don't celebrate it and if you have teenage kids, me and my friend that came over, we're talking about this and you've been celebrating it, teach them why you're not celebrating it anymore. And hopefully they will make the choice not to do that. You know what I mean? But we can't, we can't just go and be like, I'm 
you know, I'm going to make you change because I am like, especially if they're teenagers, babies, whole different story. But we both have teens and we were talking about that. So anyways, um, okay. So they have the babies <clears throat> probably from breeders. I don't know where they got them back then. Uh, probably from, I just think that very few of these babies were actually parents that brought their kids to Coney freaking Island, New York to be in a sideshow circus fair because <laughs> they couldn't afford an incubator when everybody knew you could put your baby next to a warm, like you know, gas fireplace or hot water to heat them up. <laughs> Even the stupid story that I'm going to tell you guys here in a second with the how they got them across the U.S. to the Chicago World Fair. Well, we wanted to display the incubators and we had the babies from Paris. So we went ahead and brought them on over across the sea. But we couldn't really plug in or whatever they however they worked these incubators back in the day because apparently they didn't have electricity because at the World Fair and... In uh, Chicago, they lit it all up for the first time in the 1800s. And everybody apparently was like, oh, but I don't believe that story either. So, and as far as I'm aware, and I'll research this and double check, there was a president shot at that fair as well. The president of the United States supposedly was shot at this fair with the incubator babies. So a lot of stuff went on at this fair. Um, but I will double check, like I said that, because I just heard that in a podcast and I hadn't had a chance to research it. And I was like, no kidding. Well, that leads another little tie to this whole weird 1800 story. So they got the incubated, no matter how the babies came, they were there. Okay. And they were born by women. And I don't know who these women were, but I doubt women would just leave their brand new tiny little babies that they carried in their bodies for all these months with the, some guy who's not even a real doctor, which people didn't even figure out until way later, uh, at a fair with the cows. I mean, people just wouldn't do that. But history says that's what, what, what happened, you know, and he put the kids in warm water to get over to Chicago. And then he got them back in those incubators and showed them in a sideshow for two months. Okay. I promise I have not. Sometimes I'm like, I'll play you this clip and I forget. I promise I won't forget to find that clip of the lady that is cloning kids in Israel. I promise. But this one, this is a Columbia surgery. So Columbia university surgery.org. And they have a whole little, and I'll put the clip, the links, all the stuff below. It says it took war and famine and poultry to develop techno technological breakthrough and responsible for saving thousands of premature infants. And I'm going to mess these words up because I am i do not know um, how to speak French. Okay. So it says the Francisco Parisian War in 1870 through 1871, along with the contaminant, cocotaminant, cocotaminant famine. I sound like my mother right now. Coco. She used to do that and be like, mom, just keep reading. And I'm not going to edit that right now. I'm just going to keep going. Maybe you needed a laugh. And it's late and I don't feel like editing had contributed to significant population deadline in France. So we're in France to increase the growth rate. The French needed to start having more babies. <laughs> okay. Anyways, I love, I love how history makes no sense with these stupid narratives in their history books that we just read in our indoctrination centers as quickly as possible. But one uh, obstetrician realized that if he could find a way to reduce infant mortality, then the population growth rate 
problem could be solved far sooner. Meanwhile, they're like creating eugenics. You guys remember eugenics from the last podcast where they only wanted the one type of kids, like blondes and blue eyes and all that? Mm-hmm. So we got eugenics going on. At the same time, we got incubator and, and uh, orphan trains. So interesting. The French obstetrician was Dr. E-T-I-E-N-N-E, and I spell these out in case you want to write it down so you can Google and search these people out because that's what I would do when I would listen to podcasts and still do to this day when I got stuff that I'm like, ooh, who is that person? I want to learn more about him. So that's why I write this, spell it out. So Dr. E-T-N-E, Stephan, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-E, and then T-A-R-N-I-E-R. So Tarnar, who gave... Who, I'm oh, sorry, who having observed the benefits of warming chambers for poultry at the Paris Zoo. So this, this guy supposedly is an obstetrician who was checking out poultry at the Paris Zoo. No wonder the kids ended up at the zoo. I mean, might as well keep them there, right? It's where you first see it. You might as well just put the babies there with the freaking chickens. <sighs> I mean, this is our history. Can you believe this? They had similar chambers constructed for premature infants under his care. These warm air incubators, which by the way, I don't know if I'll be reading this to you in this article, but by the way, FYI, they cause a lot of kids to be blind because of some light that was shining in their little sweet faces this time. Yeah. Okay. So they introduced these little incubators. They did this in Le Hospital Paris Maternit in 1880, M-A-T-E-R-N-I-T-E. First, and they were the first of their kind. So Dr. Perry Budin, B-U-D-I-N, began publishing reports of the success of these incubators in 1888. So they're all happy now. We're we're eight years in with these incubators. His incubators had solved the deadly problem of um, premature ba- that premature babies face from getting too cold. So yay, we we're here. Okay, and I I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but I'm reading the facts. So this doctor Budin he wanted to share this innovation with the world, but a few in the stubborn medical establishment wouldn't listen. Now probably because back then they actually cared about their patients, and they probably didn't like the fact that babies were being blind. Now I could be wrong. But this is just a thought, side note, thought. Here's where history gets even more sideways. So, you know, incubators are used in hospitals to this day. So obviously they have got them to a point where they have saved many lives. So I don't want to just discredit the medical field because we have many intubations that have saved many lives. You know, if I'm dying with my arm half cut off, I'm not just going to stay at home and, you know not go to the hospital. So I'm glad there's hospitals. I'm just saying, I'm glad there's hospitals, but sometimes I think they take things a little too far, like shock treatments to this day to quote unquote, help people. How does that help people to make them have a seizure? Like, I don't get that. So Dr. Budin, he just was dang determined to get these to the world. So no matter what the medical establishment did, he decided he was going to, um, get the help of this guy named Dr. Martin C-O-U-N-E-Y Cooney in exhibiting the new incubators at the World Exposition in Berlin in 1896. So this is when the sh- sideshow of babies at fairs begin. 
1896 in Berlin. So apparently blessed with skills of showmanship because he really isn't a doctor. And I'm about to play you a podcast that will prove that as well. Um, so apparently he, he's a good, so maybe he's like from the circus. I don't know, but he is now called doctor, like Dr. Jill Biden. So now we just, I, you know, again, hi, I'm Dr. Mel and I'm here to just tell you about Dr. Cooney who wasn't a doctor. Cause none of us have to be doctors because who give them medical degrees back then. I mean, let's throw the DR on there and I'm a Dr. Cooney. So he took the assignment, perhaps a step farther. Then Dr. Budin was originally anticipating. He asked the Berlin Charity Hospital to borrow premature babies for this experiment. So not, so you can't just show the incubator at the fair because this isn't about the freaking incubators, you guys. Let's keep this in mind. This isn't about, hey guys, we have this new modern technology. No, because if they did, they would keep them in the hospitals and then use them like they do now, right? Do you go to the fair and see babies in incubators? No, because we've woken up to how inhumane that is. But in 1896, when the parents were locked up in insane asylums, they can control what happened to their babies. And unfortunately, they were put in fairs. And And history says, oh, it's the parent that brought them bull crap whoever brought those kids to those fairs were not those kids parents and if they went back to whoever brought them in there those kids had known none the wiser but you know what i mean they just oh i had a good life i i would think dr cooney for saving you don't even know you don't even know why you're thinking this dude so crazy i've heard a lot of podcasts with people being thanking this dude for putting him and some of them even in their obituaries are like i was a dr uh, cooney clown show baby no they don't really say it like that but the coney island baby so freaking crazy how people are happy about being part of these experiments with this new world order crap after they took out the old world so we got this going on he supposedly requests some premature babies for his quote-unquote experiment they granted these babies to him um, because, you know, they thought, well, the babies are going to die anyway, so screw it. Let's you know, give them to this not doctor dude and let him take them to the fair and put them in this little experiment. So <laughs> it's better than leaving here at the hospital. So they did that. And then, um, he actually at some point was able to hire some nurses and they helped him take the show on the road. So now we're a sideshow with the babies <laughs> that aren't being trafficked across the globe. So, um, it says here on back to this Columbia thing, it says nestled between exhibits of the Congo village and the toiling yodelers, Cooney's kinder Burleson or child hatchery became a wild success because people are psycho. Remarkable. All six babies in the Tarner incubator survived from there. Cooney took this entourage to the United States, where he went to share his show at a virtually every large exposition at the World's Fair. He ultimately settled at New York City, Coney Island Amusement Park, and connected parents. Oh, here's where we get this another lie. And connected parents eager to save the lives of their premature newborns were circuit sideshow vis- visitors willing to pay 25 cents to view the un canly tiny babies it was an odd connection indeed but 
brilliant one that kept the warming glow of the incubator lights on for over 40 years and saved thousands of babies in the process. <laughs> All right, so that's history's story. Now let's listen to a little bit of uh, research some people have done about Mr. Cooney and his uh, background. All right, so I have chose this woman. Her name is Dawn, R-A-F-F-E-L. She wrote a book about him. And the reason I chose her for this part of uh, this explanation, I guess, about him, not that I agree with everything she says, not that I have to, but um, I just like that she's actually done some real research into his background. So let's hear about that. And that's how we know he's not a doctor. But even Don seems to excuse that for some reason, which I find interesting because there's no excuse for that. If you're not a doctor, don't touch anybody's baby. And if you are a doctor, half the time you shouldn't be when you do. So, you know, check yourself. So I, it actually started for me with this picture, which I'm hoping you can see. I don't know where your little strip is, but it says living babies and in incubators. Um, this is... Um, the Chicago World's Fair in 1933 and 34. It's not the famous Chicago World's Fair, which you usually think of the devil in the white city. That was in the 1890s. Um, but it was after my father died and I was cleaning out his papers and he, he didn't really have much, but he had, and it was an old, like a school assignment. And he wrote about going to this World's Fair in Chicago. And I thought, I didn't even know there was a World's Fair in Chicago during the depression. Um, my mom grew up in Chicago also she would they would have both been there and somehow or other I became intrigued by this honestly I think it was just a way of trying to uh, understand more about my parents lives and the world that they lived in before I was born. I'm pausing down right there because uh isn't it intriguing it is to me that during the greatest depression of the history of ever <laughs> there's a world fair with babies hmm i find that more intriguing than anything but let's hear why don finds it so intriguing as well i started just looking at pictures of this world's fair um i suppose in the back of my mind i was kind of hoping maybe i'd see a picture of my parents you know and then i thought how would you even recognize one of your parents pin small in it as a child in a crowd scene you wouldn't but um, I saw some pretty crazy things. And the craziest thing I saw at this World's Fair was this enormous sign that says living babies in incubators. What the heck is that? Um, this is also the midway. It's the amusement area. So it's there was a hall of science and a hall of technology and a hall of medicine. Um, but this is just a midway exhibit. It was a, you know, you could pay a quarter and, and go in and it was near the midget village and that kind of stuff. So I thought, how crazy is that? And who would allow their child to be exhibited in that way? Were these just orphans or children of the very poor? Is this the most grotesque exploitation and voyeurism? Um, is it the commodification of human life? Or is it something else? Um, I really did nothing with that. I was working as a magazine editor, but it was kind of marinating. Um, and at the same time, I um, heard that there was a Coney Island Museum that had opened. And I don't know how many of you have been to Coney Island. I love Coney Island. It's insane. I dragged a friend out there with me. Um, the Coney Island Museum is more of a, a fun house. Um, Coney Island, um, in its heyday, was known as the People's Playground. 
and it was really for everybody. So people who lived in sweatshops and, and in tenements and worked in sweatshops could just get on the new train and go out to the ocean. It was mobbed there. Um, and it was filled with all kinds of amusements. Um, and some of the amusements were quite risque. So the other nickname for Coney Island um, was Sodom by the Sea. Um, and I was just looking at this and all of a sudden I see, wait a minute, wait a minute. The same thing is at Coney Island. It's the same incubator exhibit much earlier. And I don't know where your strip is, but on the right side, it says infant incubators with living infants. On the left, it says under the sea. That's an aquarium. So, it, you know, fish, babies, right? It all comes out of the same slot. Well, <laughs> uh, not funny. This exhibit turns out was also in Atlantic City, and before it was a scungy gambling mecca, um, Atlantic City was America's honeymoon capital, and you could go, and there were elegant hotels, and there was the Heinz Pickle Pier. Um, the term high rollers actually came from there. It wasn't about gambling. It was that you could pay somebody to wheel you along the boardwalk in one of those high chairs, and there was infant incubators there. Um, there were outposts and amusement parks all over the country, Chicago, Minneapolis, Denver, almost every major American World's Fair of the early 20th century, um, including the Century of Progress. So I thought, this is like, I don't get it. Why, if there's a life-saving technology, is it a midway attraction? It's like saying we have a cure for breast cancer, but you have to be in a show. Um, how do we judge something like this? I had to get to the bottom of this story. I assumed there would be a book about it, but there wasn't. Um, and a very cursory search of um, just Googling around, um, all of these shows were the work of this one man. Um, he was kind of a mysterious European man who called himself Dr. Martin Arthur Cooney. Um, and he was quite famous, um, especially by the 1930s. Um, and his story, as he told it, was an absolute doozy. So he claimed he was born in Alsace, which would make him kind of French, um, and that he was educated in Leipzig and Berlin. That would have been the best medical education in the world at that time. And then he became the handpicked protege of this very um, revered French pediatrician named Pierre Boudin, who was among the people to develop the infant incubator. Um, he then claimed Boudin sent him to uh, Berlin to, um, to show off the new incubator and they were so excited by it that they called it the child hatchery. He had this crazy, crazy story that he went from there to, um, to London, to the Queen Victoria Jubilee, and then he came to the United States for the Omaha World's Fair in 1898. So after which somehow he was seized with a desire to relocate across an ocean. Um, why would you do that? You know, after you've seen Omaha, you can never return to Paris. I think I'll just give up my institutional affiliation with one of the world's leading doctors so I can practice medicine next to the alligator boy in the shoot the shoot. I, I thought there was something curfluey with this story, although I had no idea how curfluey. Um, it was repeated this way uh, again and again during his lifetime, but also repeated this way in peer-reviewed journals and anything that mentioned him up to that date, that was the same thing. And every interpretation of him was based on that story. Um, 
So here I am very blithely going off to my agent. I had done some books before that were fiction. Um, and I actually said to my agent, tell me if this is a dumb idea. You really shouldn't do that. And she said, no, I can sell that. So it was the fastest thing she ever sold. She came back. She said, I have a contract for this. And I thought, oh, great. I have my job and I can just knock this off. I'll, I'll Google around. I'll interview some people. Oh, boy, was I in for a surprise. Um, first of all, about a month later, I was um, laid off from that job. Like many people, I was now in my uh, 50s earning too much money in an industry that was imploding and, of course, managed to lose the job right when you're kind of too old to get another job. Um, but I did have this book contract, and I realized, actually, I could never, ever have gotten to the bottom of this if I'd had the job. Um, so there was that. It was four years down a rabbit hole of archival research because this guy was so tricky, and I wasn't really sure where to look. Um, I quickly realized that this was a fake name. It wasn't French or German, if you look at Cooney. Um, and I ended up having to, um, I got help from the New York Public Library, and they kind of said, well, where's his immigration? Where's his naturalization? Um, what's in his probate files? You have to go to Brooklyn and look in those files. You have to go and look at property deeds. You have to go look at all kinds of uh, um, original documentation that hadn't been cited anywhere. Because if you just read the articles, even in peer-reviewed journals, if they had footnotes, the footnotes always went right back to Cooney himself. Um, so the first thing I saw was that his funeral was held in a place called Kirschenbaum's Westminster Abbey. Just, boy. Um, and uh, so I realized, okay, so he was Jewish, and I found out his, um, his name was Cohn. Um, and he was born in a town called Krodeshin, which made him not kind of French, but kind of Polish. Um, and he arrived here, and this took well over a year to find out because he obscured things so well. He came here in 1888. He was 18 years old, and he came here steerage class. And it was like, oh, my God, I found you. I got it. I got it. And it was also this revelation of, like, I found this thing, and the experts were wrong. What do I do with that? And I keep... I kept coming back to that. Um, but meantime, if you arrive in 1888, and it was definitely him, because I later found family members who confirmed that one. Um, so what's the first thing you see in 1888 coming to the new world? Uh, you know, when I do this live, everybody says, well, of course, it's the Statue of Liberty. Um, but it actually wasn't. It was, it was Coney Island. Um, and specifically what you'd see is this crazy thing. It was called the Elephant Hotel, which is just what it sounds like. It's a seven-story hotel shaped like an elephant, um, which eventually, um, it was a bad idea. It um, became uh, a brothel until even the hookers checked out and then it burned to the ground. Um, but Martin Cooney had a brother who was already here named Alphonse, who was a wild child. And he was a jockey at the racetrack out there and he changed the name. Uh, Cone to Coney. Um, and so our hero that first became Coney uh, on his way to Coney. Um, meanwhile, in Paris, they really were experimenting with the incubator as a new device, but it was a really rudimentary thing. Um, it was a, called a caveuse, meaning a mother hen. Um, it was more like a, a double boiler or something. Um, and it actually ran the risk of boiling the baby because that the heat was so um, 
the gas was so uneven at Paris maternity that they just stopped even using that. They just used hot water bottles. Um, so this is going on. Um, peasants were trying to save their babies by wrapping them up in feathers or wrap, putting them near the hearth. It didn't usually work. Um, Now, Cooney also mentioned, and he wasn't in Paris at this time, he was in New York, that there was a child hatchery in Berlin, and I thought for sure that was absolute BS, but I found it. There was a child hatchery in Berlin. It says, die Kinderbrutenstalt, which means child hatchery, um, and so it turned out there were these incubator exhibits in Europe. They were the work of a French engineer. They weren't the work of a doctor. Um, and this engineer showed them in Berlin. He claimed the machines were so superior to anything else um, that you didn't really need any expertise to use them. It was almost like a magic oven. You just pop in the baby and voila. Um, it wasn't true at all. He had very skilled nurses, um, but all the showmen wanted to get in on this right away because it, had, it attracted huge, huge crowds. People paid admission and it was, supposedly it required no expertise. Um, so our friend, Mr. Comey, shows up in, he went to England to show them. Um, and you can see it's Paul Altman's patent. He later said he invented this. He didn't. It was somebody else who invented it. He had a show in England. And then he came back to the United States for that Omaha World's Fair, where he was now the eminent Dr. Martin Arthur Cooney, who has a wide experience in Europe. Um, and he went on from there. Um, to the Buffalo World's Fair in 1901. Um, now, this World's Fair should have been an inflection point. There was a lot of interest in the medical community in this new machine. It was written up everywhere. Um, interestingly, and if one of the places besides Scientific American um, and Pediatrics and The Lancet and all these other places, um, was Cosmo, which at that time was kind of a serious magazine, and that was a big deal, but it was written up in Cosmo, the leading journalists of the day wrote for Cosmo. Um, however, and it was here that some other important things happened. He met a nurse who would become his wife. She really knew what she was doing, and the nurses were a lot of the secret sauce behind why this whole system was working. Um, but something awful was happening here, which was the beginning of American eugenics. So genetics was a very new science, um, but eugenics, the idea that we can um, manipulate uh, the human gene pool and eliminate undesirables was coming in. So somebody complaining about this exhibit anonymously in a medical journal that was reprinted said, you know, the question naturally presents itself as to whether this is worthwhile whether the race as a whole does not suffer from the preservation of weaklings to perpetuate their kind. It was this kind of thinking, and there were, in the, in the medical um, literature, there were a lot of reasons for why neonatology was slow to catch on, having to do with lack of resources, but nobody ever mentioned that right parallel to this, you had this eugenics movement going on, and I kept looking at it and thinking, huh, this is going on. Um, meanwhile, most of the showmen other than Cooney have gotten out of this business because it isn't at all true that this is a toaster oven. It's a hell of a lot of work. And Bailey of Barnum and Bailey, who tried this for a while, was like, you know what, forget it. Um, this World's Fair was um, famous for another calamity, which is the president was assassinated. Uh, almost right next to here, William McKinley was assassinated. 
So let's talk about this president, William McKinley. He was the 25th president of the United States. He served from March 4th, 1897 until his assassination on September 14th, 1901. After leading the nation to victory in the Spanish-American War. Yay. And raising prospective tariffs to promote American industry. So they're saying that right after they basically trafficked all these kids across the world for free labor, uh, using techniques like these incubator babies all the way to orphan trains, that um, that's when the American quote-unquote industry started. That's when we really became the work slaves for the, for the man and paid the taxes and did the things. And we all know taxes are illegal. Uh, you know, like we, we shouldn't be in a corporation, the United States, we shouldn't be having to pay taxes and then taxes and taxes. Do you realize if you don't realize how many taxes you pay, you should. So you get paid just to make money. So you get paid on income and then you get paid to spend your income on you know, on whatever you're buying. And then you have to pay state tax on top of that. So it's just a real good time, all these taxes. And then if you buy like a new car and you pay the tax for the new car, it's usually like an insane amount of money. But then if you sell the car, the new guy has to pay the tax again. Like the way they have the system is absolutely insane. And then they take all the money that you're taxed on, which is basically more than half your paycheck at the end of the day. And ship it off to other countries while our country is getting torn apart from the old world that's beautiful with free electricity so we could stay with homeless people all over the street because that wasn't even a thing in the 1800s they didn't even have homeless people nor did they need orphan homes or hospitals or insane asylums but all of a sudden here we go middle of the 1800s we need all of it and we know what happens by the 1900s because we've already done podcasts about that. All right. So we got a big good vibe on who uh, Coney is. I've never really looked into Coney Island, but I'm intrigued and I want to do a whole bunch of research on that. But I feel like we've reached a pretty good time on this podcast to uh, have covered basically where, you know, where these these things started, how it started. I, I've read so much. I was just like, how could they put these babies where they were actually breathing the smell of manure brand new babies born premature obviously and they're in three in one little like you'll google this guys like what these babies look like in these little incubators three in one little metal thing we all know that humans need love and affection like that's how we all thrive from the second we're born to the second we die we all need love that's i mean because god gave us love he is love we come from love so why wouldn't we need it <sighs> And then they do all these evil, deprived people. They have done everything they can since the 1800s to take love away from people. From mothers to fathers to marriages to kids. And now we're trying to rebuild it all. And we will. But we have to do it within our own families, within, you know, starting to wake up to these institutions. Why so many people don't understand why they put their kids in daycare, preschool, all the things they do it so they can make money to pay the taxes, to drive the car. When really like what matters is raising our children. It's one of the hardest jobs I've ever done. Staying home all day with a two-year-old. But you know what? It's worth it because I have a 15-year-old now and I know how much it's worth it. And it's worth it way more than having to go to my job and peddle commercial real estate. I'll tell you that. 
And I love commercial real estate. Don't get me wrong. And it pays good money. But you know what? At the end of the day, I don't take money with me. I take my memories. And my kids, what I leave behind, they don't give a crap about the car I give them or a house. You know, or the savings account that I save for them. They care about the memories. And people forgot about it in 2023. They forgot about the memories about humanity. And we're so stuck on our phones and our Netflix. It's ridiculous at this point. And, and now I see why. And then I want you guys to really think about this, okay? Because if the first traffic train on trafficking on trains happened in the 1800s, by 1945, what do you think really happened with this Nazi Germany BS story we're told with this Adolf Hitler character, who I believe is a character? I don't believe he's the one to blame for everything because nobody has that much power. You got to have a lot of people. And a lot of schools and a lot of indoctrination to get everybody to be like, hail Melody, hail whoever they're hailing, right? Like, why are you hailing them? Because you're going to get your butt kicked if you don't. So why do you think the Jews might have all revolted? Hmm. And then they all had to go into hiding for some reason because they might have got killed and put in concentration camps? I don't know. Sounds familiar. Sounds like history maybe getting a little progressive from... Okay, we've already went to the U.S. We've already, you know, taken over what we need to and built what we want to and got our railroads and everything connected. So what's going on over there, Andrew? Oh, getting a little out of control. Let's make sure we get them wiped out. So I believe whoever started to stand up against this new world order that they're trying to been pushed, they have been pushing, since the 1800s, if you stand in the way, they've tried to wipe you out. And they've done it because they've had their little secret societies and their little sororities and their little indoctrination camps called universities. And finally, finally, in the year of 2023, people are waking up. And what is so cool about this is in 1978, when Kathy O'Brien really started speaking up. She was born in the 50s, but she started speaking up. And that's, I, I remember listening to her, looking at her, you know, over the years as she's aged, been speaking up the same story over and over and over again. And then you got all these people trying to say she's a liar, blah, 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 same story, same story. Division, division, division. Wherever they can cause it, they will. And so you got these Kathy O'Briens, right? Um, telling the truth, telling the stories, telling what the government's up to. And people literally couldn't believe it in 2012 so can you imagine that speaking all those years so I think I'm awake right because I've been awake since I, I feel like I started really waking up with like I said right before vaccines 2008 like oh I'm not gonna do that and why am I not gonna do that? like I started to be like why I never liked high school so let's start there I never liked school I hated school I did school because I had to go to school and that's why I don't make my kid go to school. I mean, she goes to college and she gets like, she's going to get a whatever, you know, but I'm not making her go to the indoctrination of high school to get programmed with all these high school kids. She's beyond it and above it and she doesn't like it. I'm not going to make her do it. And so I don't feel like a society is quite broke loose from that because we don't really know what to do in the alternative. And that's kind of what, um, you know, COVID taught us is, well, what are we going to do in the alternative? If we don't go to, you know, this is the indoctrination camp that the government wants us to go to, 
when we try to educate them at home, we're, we're feeling like we're not, um, doing good enough. You know what I mean? Like maybe the lessons they're learning at home are from us. Aren't the ones they're supposed to be learning. Like they need the friends that they won't care about or know about by the time they're 25 to teach them the lessons in life. Like that's how we are as a society. I see women all the time on Instagram, like in this fake social media world that's posting all their BS, like trying to make themselves feel good for leaving their kids at daycare all day because their soul knows that's not where they should be. But yet they're trying to make a living and trying to be a working mom and all the things. You can't do it all. I'm telling you, you can't do it all. You can try to do some of it, but what comes first? What's the priority? Is it going to be your job or your kids? You know, like for me, my job comes second and it shows at work. You can tell the people that show up every day and leave the kids at the daycare. They make more money and they have more names on the chalkboard. But I've never given a shit about the chalkboard. I don't care if my name's on the chalkboard for good or bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah, sometimes it feels good to be like, hey, you did good this month, right on. You know what? But I don't take it with me. I don't take it with me. At the end of the day, we just don't take it with me. And I know I'm rambling at this point, but I just feel like kids are under attack and they have been for so long. And I feel like parents need to step back up to the parent role and quit, uh, you know, dishing our beloveds out to the powers that be because they as we have proven have no uh plans of good for us right we're not celebrating um evil holidays but we participate in the evil of the world by going to these indoctrination camps and i'm and i'm not anybody i mean i have my kid going to college they're indoctrination camp too so like i'm not out of the system either i'm just saying we need to figure it out all together as a collective and and when we do it's gonna be great and I can't wait (laughs) and I hope our babies like my two-year-old is part of this new time you know and I hope my teenager who's been part of this old time can guide her in her um life because she's experienced these experiences nothing we go through is on accident nothing And we shouldn't live in regret because that's Satan trying to like badger us for something we can't change. We should live in the hope in the future that God is good. He's created us for a reason and we're here for it at this time in this moment. And we should quit fighting about everything because it's stupid and we're allowed to all disagree with things and we don't ever have to live the life like someone else because our lives don't look the same. And isn't it cool? I love it. All right. So I did not forget. I have, I'm going to end the podcast after this prayer. Actually, let's pray after because these people are cloning people and we need to pray about that because I honestly don't believe that these people have souls because God's the one that gives us souls. So if you're made in a dish, I don't see how you could get a soul, but I don't know how God all works, but I do know when a man and a woman have sex and an egg and a sperm meet, there's a light I believe that is when the soul goes into that egg and sperm and creating the life. So if you're creating a life in a petri dish, they're either stealing eggs and sperm that do have life in a soul from parents who are uh, going to these. I've, <clears throat> I've told you guys this theory before, but I truly think, you know, how they have help for everybody who can't have kids, but they're making people sterile with their foods and the air and the water. Okay, so they're making us sterile, but then they're making people, oh, birth control. That's a terrible thing to take. So they were, as teenagers, we're basically ruining our bodies. So by the time we actually want kids, 
and we don't want to birth controls and all those things. Our body's so messed up, we can't have kids. So then we have to go back to the doctor and say, hey, doc, I can't have kids. I'm having problems. So the doctor then has to give you pills or shots or whatever to fix you from the damage they've done to you over the years of taking whatever pharmaceutical you're taking to not have kids because they have really figured this out. So then you go and you give them your eggs and your sperm and they might give you a kid out of that, maybe two, three, maybe some die because you're not made to be like that and that's not the way God intended us to have children. We're supposed to have trust and faith. And then you know what happens to the rest of your children that are made in those dishes? Yeah, me neither. Hmm. Good old experiment for them, though, because I'm sure they have thousands and millions that they get to play with. <sighs> the world needs to change, and we'll pray about that, too. Okay. Well, we're going to end this with this whole cloning thing, but we will pray. And so if you want to stick around for that, stick around for that. Thank you for listening. I hope you guys have a good night. And I really don't know what we're going to talk about next week because I have so many things I'm thinking about right now. Could be Coney Island, but it could be this old world more because I am really going down that rabbit hole. But who knows, by next week, I could be studying something completely different. So stay tuned. We'll see where we go. Thanks for listening. God bless you. All right, guys, I'm about to play you this clone aid claim of this first clone baby. And this was 21 years ago. So this baby is now an adult. Goody. Very pleased to announce that the first baby clone uh, is born. She was born yesterday at 11.55 a.m. in the country where she was born. Israel. I'll give you more details about the location. She, she's fine. We call her Eve between us. You knew that, of course. Some suggested it, and I thought it was a good idea, actually. You won't have the right name. And, you know, for a long time, I thought that the, um, this press conference will be with the baby, the parents, the scientists, everybody surrounding me, and uh, having pleasure announcing it. I'm alone. And there is a reason to that, is that... Um, it hasn't been easy to face the world with this announcement. And we've, uh, we have been discussing with the parents the last three months how we would handle today. And uh, they decided not to show up yet. They will. I hope they will. And I wish them well. We started really to work with human eggs in January of this year. So it took us three months to finalize, and this is very short, and that's why I said, is it luck or is it hard work? I do believe it's hard work. And, but we had, uh, our really, we had really good success very quickly and refined the technique for human eggs until spring, where we started to have implantation. We had ten implantations, and five of them during the first three weeks uh, were terminated spontaneously. Five others were successful and are still successful. The first one so was um, uh, born yesterday. The next one is due in Europe next week. And there you have it. <sighs> Lord, 
Forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. And forgive us because we barely got it figured out too. I just thank you, Lord, that those of you that those of us that choose you, you choose us. And I thank you so much for that. And I just pray, Lord, that those that are listening, that they leave with ears that hear and not ears with fear, because there is no need to fear the things we hear. You have already told us the story from the beginning to the end. And I choose to read it. And I pray, Lord, that other people choose to, too. And open up our eyes to the things that are that we don't see, because just this week, I'm opening my eyes to these buildings just downtown Albuquerque. So I can't imagine the things you're going to open me up to the rest of my life. And I'm so excited for it. Give us wisdom. We pray for the spirit of wisdom and understanding to fall upon the people who call for her. And I thank you that we understand that we need it and we need you and we need justice in Jesus precious name. Give us justice and expose the clones and expose this this agenda this new world order and let every plan they've ever had since they came over and took over these native lands fall to the ground and we we pray for the people that are up there the blood that has been shed over and over and over in these lands that they have cried out to the heaven's gates and that you see and you will now prevail and give us all justice in their name and in jesus name we thank you for your mercy and grace Thank you, Jesus, for dying on that cross for us. And thank you for this voice to speak. And thank you for the people out there for, with ears to hear the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys. Peace out. We'll see you next week.